0: What's happening, everybody? This is Ryan here for The Scale-Up Show. Happy to have you on today. I have a special founder named Andrew Call. He is the CEO and founder of Backbox Software. Man, some really cool things that he did. as a, a Midwest upbringing, really did some unique things. Had a, an experience at the age of 13 that shaped his entire career. I'm not going to ruin it. You have to check out the episode. Also built and sold the company to Dell, which is pretty cool. Had executive positions at NetApp and Juniper Networks. And just really, really enjoy the conversation about going from zero to one idea, market fit, product market fit. We touched them all in this episode, so you're not going to want to miss it. I hope you check it out. And thanks for joining me. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions and this show is the answer. What is happening, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. I have a very special guest with me on today. I have Andrew Call. Andrew was previously the co-founder of Credent Technologies in 2001 and was acquired by Dell in 2012, was an executive at NetApp and Juniper Networks, former chairman of the Graduate School Alumni Board at Notre Dame, which is pretty cool, also (laughs) the CEO and co-founder of Backbox, and, little known fact about Andrew, he's also on the board for Indiana Whiskey Company. Andrew, welcome. <laughs> Happy to have you on the show.
1: Hey, hey, Ryan, nice to have you. Thanks for the introduction. That's, uh, that's uh, It's good to be here. It's fun.
0: Yeah, you didn't expect the whiskey thing, huh? I, I saw you that. In didn't. Your- you got me flummoxed, man. <laughs> I saw that in your profile. I'm like, oh, shit, I got to include this at the end. I'm like, this is going to be entertaining. He's not going to expect this, and I'm like going to blindside it. So, no, anyways, like it. before we get too deep into the show man would like to do a real quick revenue rundown so everybody understands what stage is the journey you're at and kind of where you're at um in that's in that aspect so we so let's start off with um where are you at in terms of your ar yeah so we're just around 10 million annually and we've grown
1: that you know over 25 between 25 and 30 percent every year for the last two years so nice little growth rate
0: love that man that's really good over the last two years okay what's your primary go-to-market for revenue growth
1: yeah, we've got direct sales and we use channel. It's probably about 50-50 uh, in terms of how we go to market. And we're selling directly into IT infrastructure. i happy to give you the spiel on what we do, but, but direct and, and with our partners is how we go to market.
0: Okay, love that. And so is it mostly outbound on the direct side or um, what's your primary customer acquisition method?
1: Approaches. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of both. I mean, one of the things we're shifting to is to be more product-led growth oriented. I mean, we've got a, you know, we've got demos and trials that people can download. We've got a a sandbox where people can get a real feel for the product and play around and see what it feels like within their environment. But, you know, digital marketing is something that uh, if you're not doing it, you're going to get left behind. So, we've been doing a bit of a blended model but leaning more heavily on the digital and product-led growth aspect last last year.
0: Okay, cool. And then yeah, let's let's hear about your solution. Can you give like a, maybe three to four sentence description of it? I gotta put those guardrails because otherwise I've, I've no, had founders I, talk I 20 it. minutes about that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So we're we're network and security device automation. So think of it this way: every company has one or two or multiple networks. They've probably got hundreds, if not thousands, of security devices connecting to those networks, routers, switches, firewalls. We automate the process to upgrade those and that they're um, aligned on the network sure that they have their patches their upgrades to identify vulnerabilities and by automating it it, it is a tremendous time saver and cost saver for companies and so that's what we do
0: okay i love that yeah I can, I can see a big need for that
1: yeah how big is your team we are about 50 people globally small but mighty okay
0: yeah i know 50 is a good size man especially yeah. for 10 million that's accurate you know it's not like the uh the bloated days, things are starting to calm down. When you know you have a VC-backed company, they have 180 people, and they're around that 10 million mark. I've seen that before as well. So. Yeah, and I've never understood
1: um, yeah. that model. You get some funding, and you just go and you overhire, and then you got a cost structure that you've got to get your revenue to catch up with it. And it's just a hard model to manage.
0: Oh yeah, totally, totally. So, all right, well, yeah, let's let's um let's get into it, man. That's a real good background you did. Oh, by the way, you are funded. Um, I didn't mention that in your intro. It looks like, what, your Series A is that? Or you you beyond Yeah, that
1: so so private equity firm, Elsewhere Partners, uh, is a private equity firm that acquired Backbox uh, a little over two years ago, about two and a half years ago. And they asked me to step in and, and lead the company as CEO. So I know you mentioned me as a co-founder, a big compliment. I'm, I can't take credit for oh. that. Two other really smart guys started the company, and I've just stepped in to be CEO. So, okay. yeah, yeah, Series A funded.
0: Well, shame on my research department for that oversight. So, uh, so but hey, we, we're still happy to have you on the show, even though you're not a founder. It's still good. To, you're still doing very good, though. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> Appreciate it, Ryan. Whatever, dude. So, anyways, um, so yeah. So let's let's uh, let's get into your background. And one of the things that we talked about on the pre-show that I was really interested in is just like the foundational elements of some of the things that you told me about that shaped you. They kind of led you down this path because you mm-hmm. have a really impressive history. So walk us through kind of like what happened when you were younger and then what kind of shaped you to put you on this journey to constantly be kind of at the forefront or in a leadership position.
1: Yeah, no, I, and I like this question because everybody, you know, usually the first question is how did you get into tech? And, and I like that you're phrasing it a little bit differently. We can talk about the tech piece, but I, I believe everybody's got an inflection point or a moment that happens that kind of sets them down a certain path. And for me, you know, kind of a deeply personal thing, I've I've been fortunate in my my career to be a founder or to be a co-founder or to be a CEO and to be in leadership positions. And what pushed me in that direction was I was when I was 13 years old, my, my dad worked in the oil and gas industry. Um, and as everybody knows, highly volatile industry. But you go back to the early 80s, you know, there was a significant downturn in the oil and gas industry in the early 80s. And his job was impacted along with thousands of other people's at the company that he worked at. And I remember he came home from work, I'm 13 years old, and my dad comes home and I'm like, my dad's home kind of early, I don't know what's going on here. And you know, he tells the family, my mom and sister, and you know, myself, what, what happened. And, and he said, look, company had to let some people go. And you know, series of questions later, it's like, well, why? And did you do something wrong? No, I didn't do anything wrong. It's because financial difficulties, we got to cut costs, et cetera, because the industry is not working. Anyway, I was mad at his bosses for a long time for making the decision. And it was that point in time. I remember going to bed that night, and I remember laying there in bed thinking, when I'm older, I'm never going to let somebody else dictate my future and, and impact what happens to me. And so. I always thought, well, how do you do that? You do that by starting a business, being in control of of the roles that you take on, and so from there, it just impacted me. I wanted to start a company. I wanted to, you know, build something special, or, or I wanted to be in a position where, if I have to make difficult decisions, I do it with elegance and grace. But more importantly, how do I take? How do I build something sustainable so I never have to put anybody in that position? And those are the, that's really what influenced me is I I just, I always come back to that story when I was 13 years old, when my dad came home and told us what had happened.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's hard, but everything happens for a reason. Right. Like I remember, it's kind of funny. Like I didn't really think about this until you just told me your situation, but like my neighbor, his dad, one of my best friends, like literally my best friend growing up um, lived right next door to me. His dad got laid off. He worked for Alice Charmers, Chalmers. Chalmers, okay. you remember that yeah. company? Yeah,
1: I sure do, yeah.
0: I think he worked for them for like, I, this might not be totally accurate, but like 27 or 28 years. Mm-hmm. And they they fired him like a year before he's supposed to get his pension, before he qualified for pension. That was when oh. pensions were really big. Yeah. So he stayed with that company forever and then he got screwed. And so like that shaped me and then, you know, I remember too, like there was times where I was a revenue leader and then like effectively every year my comp plan would get adjusted. Yeah. And it was like, it was supposed to be like exciting, right? Like, oh, we got this new comp plan. So much excitement, <laughs> right? And every year it was like, all right, cool. You've got to sell way more to make sure. like less than what you made before, right? Which yeah. is not a good place to be in. And, and I get the economics behind some of it, right? But at the same time, like that that's some of what drove me to want to start my own company and do my own thing. And so you have an element of control or focus on what you're doing versus like always wondering, you know, or having someone else shape that at a higher degree. So that makes sense.
1: Yeah. No, again, I think everybody's got something in their background that, that drives them and it's just, and look, it's not a control thing. It's just, you know, the the person that's going to watch out for me or or you is, is you and yourself. And so just, you know, put yourself in a position to do that.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Okay. Yeah. So so let's shift gears a little bit. So you had that, and I know one of the prevailing patterns that you had throughout your life, in your career life, let's say, not even your personal life, but is is more around like continual growth and in, mm-hmm. in creating something and growing it. So like, what do you think is critical when you're trying to go from zero to one with, not just product market fit, but idea market fit and everything in terms of creating a startup. Like how how would you kind of approach it? How have you approached it? And What do you see works really well in those situations, especially yeah. in today's environment?
1: No, I, well, especially in today. I mean, things move so much faster now than they did. I mean, I got into the tech space in 1992. My first job was working with Compaq when it was still Compaq. Um, but the pace and the rate of change now is incredible. So I'd say number one, the you thing you've got to have is decisiveness. You've got to be decisive in the decisions you make, implementing plans, going forward, executing, measuring those. You, you've absolutely got to be decisive. But it, you know, from a technology standpoint, you know, or, or probably any any industry, I think the most important thing is you've really got to have a solution that solves an existing problem. If you create something because you think it's cool, but there's no problem out there or there's no you know, this is product market fit, I think you're going to end up spending a lot of time and money and find a lot of frustration. So if you really understand, and then you can clearly articulate, hey, here's what we do, here's the problem we're solving. And by the way, here's how we make life easier for you, Mr. or Mrs' customer. Um, then I think you're on to something. But if you, you've got to pinpoint that and you've got to nail that very early on because that's going to allow you to grow. It's going to allow you to get input, to expand your footprint, find partnerships, and get, and, and it's just that's part of the ongoing process is, is, um, is that product market fit.
0: Okay. So I, I, I like that. So decisiveness because of the rate of change. Yep. Uh, solution solves an existing problem clearly articulate it. And then at the same time, it's got to reduce friction or make life simpler as well.
1: Yeah. And look, look, the last thing, uh, part of that I'll say is once you figure that out and once you start getting customers, how you take care of them is critically important. Marketing is hard, building product is hard, selling is hard, but those are kind of finite points in the customer relationship. Once you land a customer, that should be the long tail of the relationship. And hopefully that'll be infinite. And so figuring out your customer retention model is incredibly critical. And the sooner you can do that, mm-hmm. uh, the, the better off you'll be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have a, it's funny, I just read a book, the product that scales itself or a pre-release of it, and it's about product-led growth. And oh, it talks a lot about that, like saying, basically, you know, if you want a really good product-led growth like, solution, Mm -hmm. You know, make sure you have an amazing team and and then just expect to be um, fine tuning it for 18 months until you have it at at least. Right. Yeah, (laughs) that
1: sounds that sounds about right. I thought it
0: was interesting. interesting. Like, I mean, that's that's, I mean, like that's a that's a longer track record, but like you're trying to understand every single nuance of a buying process without being there effectively in real life. So, yeah. I think that's probably why. Do you agree
1: with that? Do you think that makes no, sense? No I, no, I absolutely do. And, and your point about the team is right because, first of all, one person can't understand all the nuances, as you say. But if you've got the right team that is getting the feedback from the customer and coming back and pressure testing it with the product or pressure testing it with the marketing team, how would we position this and how do we show that there's value if we add this on? It, it absolutely takes a, the, the right team effort uh, to not only get a product to market, but keep it in market as well. Yeah, so I totally agree. with Yeah,
0: you. well, yeah, there's a there's a lot of balancing. Yeah. Okay, what? Well, so why do you think? Let me ask you this. Um, um, let's talk about the solution that solves the existing problem. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so many people get that wrong? Because that, that was, I think, one of the. I think lack of cash was one reason, but I think the primary reason I saw in, in some of the studies, and it's not all that startups don't make it, is because you know there's lack of product market fit, which is you know basically product you know, problem solution fit, if you will. So why do you mm-hmm. think so many people mess that up in startups?
1: I think a, I think a big part of it and, and, is, and having a little experience with that, you know, which we can talk about, you know, I, I think it comes down to just not having the right sample size of data to understand, mm-hmm. is there really demand for this? It's really easy to go to one meeting with a customer and hear what their problem is and get really excited and think, oh man, we're onto something. But that's just one customer conversation. You've got to start mm-hmm. you've got to get a bigger sample size and then you've got to start thinking okay is this specific to just one industry or vertical or can i apply this potential solution across a broader set of customers that have might be in different industries or even different regions but have a similar similar problem so it is a long time researching all of that but you've got to have the right sample size to say yeah the data tells me that there is a problem today or there's a problem out on the horizon that we see coming that we want to try and address. If you try and do it with just, you know, one conversation or you know, two buddies and a beer, and you think you got a great idea, you're you're probably in for a long road.
0: So, what, what's the sample size you use? Then, what's the? Minimum versus ideal sample size.
1: You know, I don't know. Th- like these are these are what we experienced. But I, I do know that if you talk to 25 customers, that's not enough. If you talk to 100 customers and you start to get some consistency in your data, then you're probably on to something. Uh, and I say that because I go back to the days at Creden, which was a software security, a data encryption software company that um, I was a co-founder of. I think back on some of the mistakes we made early on with some of the problems we were trying to solve our sample size, our prop was, was way too small. We had a handful of customers and a handful of external advisors giving us input, and we were trying to build something that was so specific just to their needs, but we weren't really applying it to the broader market. And then once we finally did land our first customer after a year, and then that customer introduced us to more customers, to more, or excuse me, more prospects, within their ecosystem. And then we started talking to them and we're like, oh wow, our original hypothesis was off. We need to be going, we were going in this direction, we need to be going in that direction. And so as that sample size got bigger, we got better input and better data. And then we were able to build a product and get it to market a lot faster. But the early days for us, you know, just talking, I think we were, I think we talked to like, I want to say 15 or 20 people that we thought was going to represent the sample size. We were basing too much on our own personal hypothesis, not not mm-hmm. a hypothesis based on real external market data.
0: Okay. Did you use the jobs to be done framework then? When you yeah, were we did. Kind of that? Yeah, okay. we did. Yeah. Which is interesting. 100, yeah. You, I've heard stuff 25 or 30, uh, which is interesting, is like the benchmark. So 100 makes sense, uh, especially. I think people just don't want to put in the work and wait, right? Um, right, right. It's well, kind of I mean, hard. I mean, I think with how fast things are changing, right? You don't want well, to like, exactly. miss the opportunity.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly. And so you get excited and you want to get to market quickly because it, A, you don't want somebody, you know, a potential competitor to do it. You don't want somebody, you know, a bigger company that can apply money and hundreds of resources and get something built and spit out faster into the market. So yeah, I understand the temptation to want to move fast and that's okay. As long as you go back to that original point I made, you've got to be decisive and say, hey, I don't have enough data and I've got to adjust. You've got to be decisive in understanding, you know, at what point do you say go? At what point do you say throttle back?
0: Yeah, no, I love that. Makes sense. Okay. So let's shift gears a little bit right now. Um, so how would you, we, we talked about creating and going from zero to one in, mm-hmm. in the early stage aspect. What about creating a sustainable company during all the economic and technical uncertainty that we have right now? Not just economic, <laughs> but technical uncertainty that we
1: have yeah for me that's always a that's that's a fun challenge but and it's one that i think we we every place i've been we've been fortunate enough to do that and i'm gonna i'm gonna lean back on my background and what i've done mostly which is you know they call it customer success today that's the term du jour but i've been doing this since before that even became a term but it's it's how do you take care of your customers because once once you get that customer on board that's like i said the long tail of the relationship and so you have to, retention is absolutely critical. How do we make sure that we are aligned to our customers needs not only today, but 12, 18, 24, 36 months out? If we can do that, then we know that we've got some staying power and we know that we've got the ability to to retain them as a customer. Beyond that, if we really understand what their strategy is, so do they have strategic initiatives, let's just talk security. Are they looking for a complete security landscape from firewalls to encryption to, you know, surface area attack management, what have you? If we understand that, then we can either A, insert ourselves into that strategic discussion and make sure that we're a key pillar, or we can start planning our product to address areas that they're not addressing today that they might be later on. So how can you make yourself more pervasive and valuable to that customer? And that's why getting aligned with them strategically is so important. So many so many customer or companies view customer success just as renewals and a high CSAT and and those are important. But if you are not really aligning to be part of somebody's corporate DNA for the long term, you're missing a big, big component of what customer success really means.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's good. I mean I, I like the fact that you're including that in the like your product roadmap as well. Like that's it's really sharp. So a lot of people haven't discussed that. So I think that's a really good forward looking view.
1: Yeah. It, it's important. I mean, we host, we hosted, we have a, a user group that we host and, and, you know, we do more, we don't use our user groups as an opportunity to, to sell features and functionalities. Those are conversations that for us to be able to share with our customers in a safe space, as they call it and say, what are you seeing? What are your concerns? What are your problems? And all of that feedback you know, our user user groups are hosted by our product team and our customer experience team nobody from sales is on those on those calls um, it's really it's really driven by that product team and that for us is an invaluable way to get feedback we do that for customers both in Europe we actually hosted our north american user group uh, meeting earlier today so i'm and i'm I haven't, oh, cool. yeah I haven't seen it but i'm excited to hear the recording uh, on how that went
0: are they do they love the fact um, that you guys have those
1: they do I mean we try and make it fun like we sent we send everybody a little little box of beer and we'll do a little social time at the end and talk and you know, we've been able to develop some friendships and uh, I also know specifically that some of the those customers have become friends and been able to do some deals together as a result of being part of our our user group so yeah they're they're highly um, uh, anticipated by us and by them and, and very well attended to and how often do you have those? We do those once a quarter.
0: Okay. That's, yeah. that's good. So it's almost like a little mastermind format of feedback in terms of, of that, it sounds like, if you will.
1: Yeah, it is. And we try and get a nice blend. We try and make sure that there's no competitive overlap. And then everybody's got, you know, we, we've got kind of term limits. Everybody participates for a year. And then we'll, you know, some folks want to stay on. Some will rotate off over time. But, yeah, it's turned into a nice a nice program, and big kudos to our team for, for making those successful.
0: Yeah, love that, man. Yeah. So uh, let's um, shift gears again. And so we, we talked about that. So I, I love the, the aspect of integrating your client in your roadmap and those user groups. What do you think is the most critical thing to focus on when you're selling IT initiatives to top management?
1: Wow. Um don't want to sound cliche on this, but you've got to, you've got to have demonstrable value right up front. Um, and you've got to make sure that you really understand what their needs are. If you go into a sales cycle, and I know this is not a discussion on how to sell, but if you try and sell something without understanding what their gaps or what their needs are, it's going to be a long, a long, difficult challenge for you. And so What is the value that you can provide and does that value align to what their gaps or what their problems are? Um, To me, especially now with so much technology coming out of the sun, questions around AI and machine learning, and there's just all these terms and acronyms popping in people's face, you've got to be able to show value really quickly and and show that you truly are an expert in what you do. I firmly believe that. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm going to spend my money on somebody or with somebody uh, in my personal life, I want to know that I'm getting back commensurate value and, you know, the, 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 that I know the product that I'm getting in return is going to be well vetted, well, you know, QA'd and, and truly works.
0: Yeah, totally makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a buyer in the same milk with that, if you will. So yeah. what would you say now? So it's, you've had a lot of success. It sounds like things are growing really well. What would you say is your single biggest challenge that you're running into now growing the company?
1: Uh, longer sales cycles. Um, you know, I think there's just, there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously, the unfortunate events that are happening, you know, the war in Israel. Um, I think from a macro standpoint, you got the election coming up next year and, you know, just the constant skittishness that you hear in the news about the market. It's interesting. We're not, we're not seeing deals not happening. We're just seeing deals being elongated in the sales cycle. And a lot of other CEOs that I've spoken to are seeing the same thing. Deals still happen, but it's just taken a little bit longer than normal. Um, that and so that obviously impacts planning. You know, how are you going to grow? Where do you want to make investments? You know, we're going through our twenty twenty four planning process right now. So it's like like, okay, where are we going to make investments? We've Got to see how this how this year turns out before we can you know uh, flip the switch on that. But I, I'd say that's yeah. the biggest one I see right now.
0: Well, you you mentioned all the terms of like. AI and acronyms that are getting thrown in people's faces like do you have an initiative for 24 to not implement AI into your product because I'm making the assumption it already has elements of it in there right
1: sure, yeah. <laughs> well there, there yeah, there's um, elements through automation of course yeah
0: exactly how about like with your people do you have a strategic plan to implement that and enable your organization with AI at all or no?
1: So we don't have a plan in place. What we have is discussions happening. We're trying to get our arms around what AI really means. What are the capabilities? Um, I think if I can make our job, the jobs of our team easier, help them get things done faster, I absolutely want to do that. Next to that, if we do implement AI, there's got to be a real tangible benefit to our customers. I don't want to implement something just because it's popular or because everybody else is doing it. I still think we're in the very beginning stages of what AI really means. So for us, you know, we're in an IT's, we're in the we're in the infrastructure of an organization. And so if we're gonna use AI, I wanna make sure that, hey, we can definitively say it's not gonna jeopardize your infrastructure. And so I wanna be really, really careful about that before we go too far too fast with AI. But a- absolutely, we, we are thinking about it. Um, and thinking about just ease of use and ease of experience first and foremost.
0: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And what's, do you have a favorite AI tool or tool that to you use all the time?
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still learning trying to get up to speed. I've been having fun with chat GPT. Um, that's, that's what I've been spending more time on. Um, and, and whether it was, I actually drafted a couple, couple memos um, at, just for fun. I, I created a silly little poem the other day and it's, it's a pretty cool tool. So I'm, I'm still early, <laughs> early adopter on that or, or novice, okay. novice.
0: Cool. Well, so we're just about up on time, Andrew, where can people find you? Where can they find out more about BackBox? not black box, back
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, great. Uh, so it's backbox.com B A C K B O X.com. Um, obviously. And then we've also got a LinkedIn page. So look for BackBox, Um, and then you can find me on LinkedIn as well. And you know, my contact information is on our website. So I love to talk about the company. we got a great team of folks. We've got a great sales team. We're, um, so that's, that's where you can find us.
0: All right, Andrew. Well, it was awesome having you on the show, man. I love your candor. I love uh, just your hard work, your make shit happen approach to, to going after things. And uh, congrats on all your success, man.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I appreciate it. It's, it's been a lot of fun. It's also good to, good to talk to a fellow Midwesterner every once in a while.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go, man. All right. Well, thanks for joining us as well. And I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the scale up show.